Don't look now, ladies and gentlemen, friends from all over the planet Earth. It is time once again for yet another... Uh, Kevin, it's a grateful and patriotic episode wow. of the Radio today. Yes, it, it certainly is. Those are excellent adjectives for today's show. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Oste, uh, joined as always by our esteemed co-host uh, and U.S. Air Force veteran, Mr. Mike Hubal-Clark. Hoorah. That's right. <laughs> and uh, today you, you uh, undoubtedly mention those adjectives because we are recording this on September 11th. Yes, sir. Indeed, we are, sir. Yeah. Sure are. Yeah, and uh, uh, 18 years on, and it, it blows my mind how quickly that goes past. It, it really does. Yeah. Do you remember what you were doing at that moment you found out? I do. I was uh, planning a trivia question. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's called a tease there, my friends. <laughs> So yes, I know exactly what I was doing, but the listeners—they come, you know, to this show for the trivia largely. So we can't, you yeah. know. I got gotcha. you. Did you prepare an automotive trivia question for this <laughs> I did. episode? I did, as a matter of fact. Right All right, here we go. Um, Kevin, you no doubt have seen um, advertised at tire shops that they will fill your tires with nitrogen. Fill your tires with nitrogen. It's the best thing ever. Well, why is this such a good thing, and is this something that your average Joe commuter really needs to do for his car, is fill his tires with nitrogen versus air? Wow, so there's, there's two questions there. Well, the second one is kind of an opinion piece, but right, the first right, question right. is, you know. All right. All right, well, that's a good one. Yeah, fill your tires with nitrogen. So it's my understanding that the whole fill your tire with nitrogen concept came about um, the theory is that nitrogen gas molecules are larger than oxygen, and nitrogen is very prevalent in ambient air anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you fill them with nitrogen, they tend potentially to not leak as much because the, mm-hmm. the molecules are bigger, so they don't permeate the rubber as easily. Uh, there is also some talk about how nitrogen is uh, a more stable gas uh, referring to its heat properties of expansion and contraction, which would lead you to believe you'd have more consistent tire pressure as you drive down the road and the tires heat up and cool off and in the wintertime mm-hmm. and all that jazz. Uh, and of course, don't forget the upsale opportunity that, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a new tire technology affords your local service station to be able to, uh, you know, charge somebody to fill with nitrogen. Mm-hmm. We actually have a nitrogen tire filling machine in our shop is that right yeah and i was kind of kind of fascinated by it uh because you just connect your standard air compressor to it and Mm -hmm. it i guess it separates out nitrogen from the atmosphere yeah and then there's no external it's not like a tank you don't like buy a tank of nitrogen. no no it, it it makes it right there on the spot oh wow uh and then you fill the tires with it uh, I can't say I've used it much, but we have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've often wanted to try it, you know, like on, on my RIV or something and, and, and see if there was any noticeable difference. I guess it would be smartest to test it with some, a car that had active tire pressure monitoring. Right. Right, to see. Right. Uh, and do I think it's something your average Joe commuter needs? Well, I think they went about 100 years without it. <laughs> and everybody commuted. 
<laughs> so absolutely, you need this. <laughs> you gotta have it. I know my uh, trailer tires on our camper are filled with nitrogen, mm-hmm. and they seem. We check them before every trip, and they seem to be pretty stable. So maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Okay. All right. So Kevin says less migration through the rubber because of the size of the of the of the molecule, as well as more heat stable. Right. That's, okay. That's my guess. And the bonus right. is, you know, if that's true, I guess it's something you could you don't need it, but it might okay. not be bad. Okay. All right. Duly noted. All right. Well, I, I got a, a short, very short question this time. Oh, great. Why is the dashboard called a dashboard? <sighs> Look of disappointment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay all right why is the dashboard called a dashboard right well back in the day kevin the day um the you didn't have all these swoopy shapes in your dashboard like you do today due to the materials that were available in the early days of the automobile Mm -hmm. and so the like that the dashboard was an actual board because it was a straight flat board. It looked, it looked like a dash. What do you mean, like a dash? You know, like a, just like a straight line. Uh, ah. Oh my god! Uh, uh, okay, hold on. Oh boy! Looked like a. Uh, Dash, <laughs> a dash, <laughs> and that is, and the name stuck, and it stayed with you, stayed with the automotive um, industry uh, till uh, this day. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> so, just so I got this right, <laughs> back in the day, whatever day that was. Think of the early days, the early of, days. Uh, of automobiles. Some some uh, admiring individuals were checking out Hank's new quadricycle or Drurier or Carl Benz creation. Right. And they said, yes. wow, what a fascinating device. It, it's, on, it's on wheels that are circular, and you've got this plush, buggy-sprung seat. Mm-hmm. And, and what is that thing that looks like a giant dash? <laughs> Well, that is the dashboard. (laughs) All right. (laughs) My apologies, everybody. (laughs) But I swear to God, if this turns out to be right, (laughs) I'm going to freak. I think that's your best answer. But I don't think we have to worry about that. That's your best answer yet. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, now, <laughs> I don't even know if we need to finish the show. Now we know why it's a dash. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Board. Well, I, th- I think for a few people, the show is finished. <laughs> right. <clears throat> trying to think of other things on the car that look like something else. You know, is it a, a moon wheel? I mean, I guess a moon disc, you know, looks like a moon. So they call well, it. You could say, why is the hood called a hood? Yeah, right. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't look like a hood. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> Why is the or, trunk called a trunk? Or a bonnet. Well, mm-hmm. the, the trunk. Or a boot. The trunk looked like a trunk back in the old days. It was a travel trunk. It, it was an actual trunk. Yeah. You're right. So you're, so Why couldn't you're you ask me that? Right? Yeah. Jesus. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So think, there's that. I think you might be onto something there. So happy trivia, everybody. Yeah, right on. Okay, so <laughs> to get back to your earlier question, yes, I remember vividly what I was doing on the morning of September 11th. Uh-huh. Uh, I was working for Hot Rod, and Kelly and I lived in, in California. Uh-huh. And there was uh, the clock radio is what told us. And, and Kelly used to listen to a country station out there, and the morning host was a guy named Peter Tilden. And uh-huh. Peter Tilden was a very, very talented guy, funny show. And he wasn't funny that morning. And they were talking about smoke in the tower. And I was like, what? You know, I'm oh, half, wow. half asleep trying to figure out what's mm-hmm. going on. Uh, and when I got out of bed, um, flipped the television on and saw the second plane hit. Oh, boy. And then it was on. Because we were on L.A. time, so everything was shifted sure. a little bit later. Right. And uh, I'll tell you the, the craziest thing for us, and we were talking about this today, where our shop is here in Redbud, Illinois, it's a rural community. We're about a half an hour outside of St. Louis, but around us is mostly agrarian. And I don't know that, I, I didn't live here at the time, so I don't know that mm-hmm. the town of Redbud or this area looked any different on September 11th as it did on September 10th. But in right. Southern California, <clears throat> Kelly and I both had to drive past LAX uh, airport every morning on the way to work. And mm-hmm. on September 10th, you could look to the east and there was no less than 25 planes in the sky on their way in. Yeah. And on September 11th, there was zero. Mm-hmm. And that was weird. Oh, weird, weird. I, I, I can echo that. Um, where, I re- where were you? Well, I went into work. I, I was working at a company called Icon Office Solutions. I was a field service technician. And I went in. I was picking up a new guy. He's a trainee that I was, uh, I was working with. And um, I got down to the lower level where he was. And he said, hey, man, did you hear that a plane crashed into the uh, World Trade Center? I said, no. And I, and I assumed that it was, you know, if you remember back in, I think, the 40s, uh, a small... Uh, like a uh, single engine aircraft crashed into the Empire State Building. Right, right. I remember and that. I, I thought it was something like that. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I feel bad for the people on the plane or anyone who might have been hurt inside the building. Yeah, it sounded like and an then, accident. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, we were at an account and they had a TV on and we saw the other plane hit. We're like, you know, everyone's jaws dropped. Everyone was freaking out. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I remember the next day, I would drive by O'Hare Airport mm-hmm. quite a bit. And it was just like LAX. You, you, you could see plane after plane after plane lined up on the approach waiting to come in. And the next day, driving, and you saw the tarmac was just jam-packed full of jet aircraft mm-hmm. because everything was grounded. And it was really eerie, and there were no planes in the sky. And you knew that everything at right. that point had changed. Yeah. 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 And it did. And, and it was crazy to think back, you know, how, how, of course, how scared we were. We didn't know mm-hmm. if there was more coming. There was all this speculation, you know, about mm-hmm. uh, targets all over the country. 
and right. and who's do who's behind it. We had no idea, and the 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 you know of course the government didn't really know how to react. Um, I have a cousin who's a flight attendant, and we didn't know where she was. Wow. Holy cow! Um, and she was turned out to be fine, and mm-hmm. you know, and then of course soon all of the uh, as the pieces of that puzzle started to unfold a little bit and and we learned a little bit more about what was going on and, and there was the speculation stories and, you know, the, the misinformation that went out. I'll never forget uh, Terry McGeehan and I, so Terry was also at hot rod at the time. Now he's editor in chief at Hemmings. Uh, But we were talking about this after hours at the office and one of us had heard a story about a security guard that like got on the elevator in one in tower two, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and right as the building came down and the, the myth was that he rode the whole thing down, oh, you know, boy. The, the collapse right. down. And it's like, no, that, that didn't no. happen. No, no. <laughs> but those stories were going around and nobody survived that. No, oh, my goodness. And then we started to see all the imagery from, from ground zero Mm-hmm. And, you know, 2001 web video was 320 by 160 little postage stamp. Right. You know, low res jaggedy looking feed. Mm-hmm. And there was no YouTube mm-hmm. and there was no streaming services. So if somebody, you know, captured video with a camera and then transferred the tape to a digital source and then posted mm-hmm. it on a website, you know, CNN had some video, Fox had a little bit. But it really wasn't anywhere near as prevalent as today. Um, of course, CNN on right. television had the loop going. You couldn't get away sure. from it. Right. You know, for, for months, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking at lunch today, you know, like the, the guys at the shop about, you know, same question. What were you doing in, uh, at the whole thing? Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, uh, you know, all the things that have come into play. So on September 10th. You could, you could drive to LAX and get on a plane about 45 minutes before the flight. Right. And shortly thereafter, now they're building all the security stuff and all the metal detectors and the gates, and you got to start taking your shoes off, and Homeland Security and air marshals and all this stuff are getting developed kind of real time. And it was like a four-hour process to get on a plane at LAX. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, it was a nightmare. Yeah, it was awful. Oh, it was crazy, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's gotten much better. <laughs> well, no, really, in some places it hasn't, but we're just, yeah. now it's a way of life. And, right. you know, I, I often thought about how many hours were taken from you and me and everybody else waiting in that line because oh, yeah. of this, you know, and, and uh, mm-hmm. the stock market tanked and, and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. It was crazy. Well, it, it, you mentioned the stock market. Jenny, my wife Jenny and I had just closed on our first house. Hmm. On September the 6th, 2001. And then this happened a week later, and we were both freaking out, not knowing if the economy was going to collapse, mm-hmm. if we're going to, you know, if we're going to lose our house, if I, if I was going to get recalled to go back into the into the Air Force or not. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, all that stuff. I, I mean, I we had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah. No, it was total, uh, a total unknown. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the thing I thought was one of the most amazing things of all of that unfortunately went away and 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 on the 12th and the 13th how united our country was oh for sure you know and and everybody was on the same team and we were all mm-hmm. there for each other and uh uh and of course politics came back and eventually we are where we are yeah. now 
But I think not since the moon landing was there an event that brought this country together that much. And I would agree with that. Fortunately, it was a, you know, a terrible thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it took an act of terrorism to wipe out 3000 people and cause all the rest of the stuff that happened. But uh, it was, Mm -hmm. it was pretty remarkable. The sense of brotherhood at the time, you know, you didn't have an enemy walking on the street. Everybody was, Exactly. You know. Yeah. Everyone was an American that day. Yeah. And for the for the next coming months. For the, exactly. Yeah. Know? And remember that was right after the uh the election, right? And and the the hanging chads and the recounts right. and all that nonsense. Right. So Yeah, that's right. You know, George Bush was just elected. And and recently. that a lot of people were like is this is he the legit president? And him and Gore are going at it, and, mm-hmm. and then and when that happened, we, we found out, yeah, he, he's the president. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <clears throat> yeah. Now, interestingly, I learned today that uh, our uh, paint technician Jeff lives not far from Scott Air Force Base, and Scott is home of uh, uh, Air Mobility Command, mm. and he said that the air traffic out of Scott Air Force Base just went through the roof. Really? So oh, everything else it. was grounded, um, but he said it, all of a sudden it got super busy, and he's watching planes you know, from his backyard. And uh, Jason Beebe, our, our team member, Sarge, who was an Air Force vet, he mm-hmm. was in Japan when it happened. No uh, kidding. Yeah, and he was actually on leave, but they recalled everybody to the base, and he said he was fortunate that he lived on base because the people trying to get back to the base had a huge problem with security trying to get in and everything else. Right. Um, and he was just waiting for his next assignment. And I guess he, he uh-huh. ended up in, uh, in the Philippines because they were chasing down a lead of somebody oh, in the Philippines that could have been I a see. perpetrator. Right. But uh, Sarge said that, at Scott, it became a hub for all of the, uh, a lot of the Air Force and military commanders. They all came into Scott and had meetings, and then they would depart and go to Washington or whatever. But that became kind of home base, so it got real busy around there. So, mm. yeah, interesting stuff. Today, yeah. believe it or not, it yeah. took 18 years for me to hear the story of, uh, of Heather Lucky Penny, the, uh, the pilot who was on the F-16 that got scrambled to take down the, f- the flight that landed and crashed in Pennsylvania. Really? Did you ever hear that story? No, I don't think I have. So she didn't talk about this um, when it happened. It took her, she said, about 10 years to really, you know, 2011, 12, she started to kind of open up. Because in her, her words, she said she didn't think she had a story. But mm-hmm. um, she was, so an F-16... Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, the United States Air Force was not really combat ready, especially for all the domestically based aircraft, because there was nothing going on, right? Exactly. And she said they were doing some maneuvers and they were doing some strafing runs and some, some, you know, she called them dumb bombs, you know, just gravity bombs here and there Mm -hmm. on some training runs. And all of a sudden they, uh they get this uh, uh, message that a plane hit the Trade Center. And she said, yeah, well, you know, how do you screw that up, you know? Right. Like what you were thinking. And she, she was talking about how, you know, maybe it was a Cessna or something that was coming down the Hudson right. and missed the turn or the weather changed or something and hit, you know. So she's like, I felt sorry for the guy that hit it, you know, but sure. move on. Yeah. 
Um, and then when, again, they announced the second one and, and then, uh, her commander came in and said, let's go. And uh. her aircraft, there was no time to saddle it up with, uh, missiles or, you know, anything else to go right. combat ready. Uh-huh. So it was, I think, an F-16 is a two-person aircraft, right? There's a um, pilot actually, and navigator, no, or, or it's is it a, a single? it's a single-person aircraft. There are two-person uh, models, though. I think they're trainers, but typically I think it's a one-person okay. aircraft, well, I think. The story's a little vague. I don't know if hers was, I thought they were all singles, but unless there was two planes. But anyway, she was dispatched with no armament, with the instructions to take out, what was that, Flight 93? Yes. Okay. And, and I'm thinking, as I'm hearing this, you know, how are you going to do that? And essentially, she was to be a kamikaze. Holy cow. She, her mission was to take out that plane. And the strategy Whoa. was, so they're on, on the fly, you know, literally trying to come up with, how do you do this and survive? So... Mm. The plan was to take out, you know, you can, you can take out an engine and the plane still flies. So it's got to right. be a wing or it's mm-hmm. a, a tail stabilizer or something. So impact that with the F-16 and bail that second. Wow. Pop the ejection cabinet, you know, the canopy and, and take the parachute right, right. down. But she said she wasn't going to pull the eject seat because her, oh f- her fear was that the plane would miss. So she was oh. fully prepared, didn't for one second question the mission, let's go. Oh, my gosh. And fortunately for her, the, you know, the, the civilians on board stormed the cockpit and caused chaos, and the plane crashed in the field in Pennsylvania right. and, and before she got to it. But there's an, there's an hour-long interview on YouTube. Her name is uh, uh, Heather Penny, and they call her Lucky Penny. Oh. But, but she tells the story of how all this went down. I've only heard half this story. I haven't heard her tell the whole thing. Um, but what she says over and over again is that her duty was to ensure that, that the principles and the, there are things bigger than her in this, this system that we live in Right. And her duty is to protect that. And if that's what it took, that's what it took. She did not question the, in fact, she was strategizing on how to do this, you know, and make it, make it successful. That's, that's tremendous. It is. That she would, that she would do that. I mean, my God, so much respect for for Uh, someone who would, who would make that decision and commit to following through with it. Fully. Yeah. And, and, and have that kind of, metal you know to be able to mm-hmm. do that oh yeah uh and and it was a day of decisions i mean the, the so we've all seen the imagery of the towers falling and the crashing and all the rest but really the one that gets me every time is seeing the people hand in hand jumping out of the tower oh yeah that just rips your heart out doesn't yeah it? yeah because here we have mm. here we have people that are making a choice it's too hot to stand there yeah you know the 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 architecture is such that you can't shimmy your way down on the outside because the floor below you is just as hot you know Mm -hmm. and you're up you know 1100 feet or 1300 feet whatever it was yeah so they're going to decide to jump but in an effort to soften that a little bit they hold hands i mean Mm. 
It's, yeah, my God. I can't, uh, I just pray to God none of us are ever faced with that decision. No. Yeah. Oof. So, we, you know, Kelly and I chatted about it this morning on the way to work, and, and mm. uh, you know, we, we, you like you, we, we lived through it from a distance. Mm. We didn't, I I've, was no, in no way connected to any of the physical mm-hmm. stuff right. outside of being a, a viewer on television, you know, but uh, definitely not something that we want to forget um, and can't, can't really forget, you know, when you, when you hear this, the stories and kind of talk about it. But then we also tried to say, well, today we're here, you're here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we, we, live. we have yeah. a pretty kick-ass job that mm-hmm. that nobody really needs, you know, third world problem, <laughs> first world problems of fixing right. hot rods. So there, for the grace of God, go us. And, mm-hmm. uh, and let's just try to make this an awesome day uh, because that's why our system exists is so people like us can do our thing. Right. And we do it. Yeah, right, right. So I didn't mean the whole left turn, you know, kind of downer of that, but I think it's important. You know? I agree. It is. So that's two car guys perspective to our friends from around the world who want to know what we thought about, <laughs> about <laughs> September 11th. <laughs> well, to our friends uh, in Australia yeah. and Canada. And, that was quite a rabbit hole. Yeah, right. So um, speaking of the shop and, and lightening our topic a little bit. Uh, uh, we, we've got a, a moral dilemma of a different sort, uh, and I'm going to defer to you. Please do tell, sir. Yes, as a uh, as a Pontiac guy. Yeah. So we got a '79 Trans Am in the shop, and recently, you know, past ten years, fifteen years, mm-hmm. I know the toxicity of putting an LS engine into <laughs> a Pontiac vehicle. The Pontiac yeah. guys just pitchforks and. Oh, we lose our minds. Torches. <laughs> but this particular 1979 Trans Am came from the factory with an Oldsmobile 403 in it. Mm-hmm. So, are we in better graces <laughs> with the Pontiac crowd for putting well, an LS in instead of the 403 Olds? You're, you're not as deep on the uh, SH list. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know you're going to say, why didn't you put a Pontiac 455 in the thing? Right. Well, here's the thing. Um, You know, I I give a lot of guff about not LSing, especially my GTO, which I can't see me ever doing. Um, People have their own reasons to put whatever engine they want in their car. It's their car, you know despite what the purists say you have to do you know what you're you're not living that situation mm-hmm. you're you're not, it's not your car it's not your life if somebody digs the ls platform they see it as a a a way to make easy cheap power it is something that's going to return good reliability it it is mm-hmm. something that's going to possibly return decent gas mileage way better than what the original 403 or the 400 or 455 would have given you Mm -hmm. it is the the ls checks a lot of boxes it doesn't no doubt about it It, and it doesn't leak like a sieve (laughs) (laughs) parts are readily available you can easily make 500 horsepower out of these things Mm -hmm. the heads flow tremendously it's warranted it's it's warranted 
it's a great engine, no doubt about it. The fact that it has the Chevy bow tie on it turns a lot of people off. And I get it. I mean, people want to hate on something. Let them hate on the LS. That's fine. I don't want one in my car, and that's, you know, that's just a personal choice. But I'm not going to sit there, and I'm not going to bag on someone if that's their choice they, they need to make for themselves. You but know but on, in that particular car, you know, Pontiac didn't put a Pontiac in it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you, how, how you, are the Pontiac guys not morally offended by those <laughs> Oldsmobile-powered Trans Ams? You'd think they'd make them park in a separate spot. And, you know, it's like it's like the the bird that fell out of the nest. You know, and right. <laughs> well, Pontiac guys tend to give a little leeway towards uh, the BOP group. Bugles Pontiac kind of ride together with the Chevy crowd. You know, on the outside, that's just kind of how they are. And so they kind of accepted a, a, a Trans Am that came with a 403 as being okay. But they would want you, if you did replace that, they would want you to replace it with a Pontiac engine and not an LS. Yeah. So that's just kind of the thinking that goes on in that camp. You know, and it happened to Pontiac again yep. later on. Sure. With yeah, the, the second gen had the, had the small block Chevy. Third gen had the LS and, uh, or and the LT. The third gen had the Buick V6 and the turbo car. True. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It did have the turbo, the Buick V6. There's well, my Grand Prix. I had a Grand Prix GTP. It had a, a, the, the supercharged uh, V6 Buick. 3,800 in it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a good trivia question. How many different brands of engines came in a Pontiac Firebird? Oh at boy. least three, you know, between least, the, the Buick V6, well, the Chevy small block. The, well, four. Pontiac, Chevy, Buick, Olds. Olds 307 or Olds? Olds 403. Olds 403. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. But, I mean, even later. Um, yeah, let, well, let's see. I guess the G-Bodies had the Olds 307. Yeah, they may have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, a, like an 80s Pontiac Grand Prix. Like yes. an 84 that might have had a Chevy 350, or did it have Could also have an old 307? I don't know. Oh, I'd have to look at that. That's a trivia question right there. Oh, great. There's another yeah, one. I can't, I can't wait <laughs> for that one. I'm just throwing them away here, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, oh, brother. this particular car uh, is pretty impressive. It's 500-plus horsepower, and it's warrantied, like I said, a 4060 Trans. We did a, a Ride Tech street grip suspension all the way around. We put those year one 17-inch snowflakes on it, so it's got mm. a good-looking wheel. We ma- right. made a uh, functional shaker cowl facing intake that goes through the ls you know throttle right. body so we tried to keep you know elements it's the engine's painted pontiac blue um and it rocks and rolls man i mean it does everything mm-hmm. that car should do or should mm-hmm. have done right uh, and and we have a video series coming out on it and i was a little bit concerned you know because there's a lot of people in our you know, that are cheerleaders of V8 TV and the V8 Speed and Resto Shop because mm-hmm. in the past we did a 78 Trans Am with the fuel injection but left the Pontiac 400, actually rebuilt right. it. And, and they're like, eh, so glad I didn't put an LS in it. And now <laughs> all those guys are going to send me hate mail when, when this oh, video comes out. they're fickle people. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the hopes is that there are those who say, hey, this is pretty cool and 
understand that the Oldsmobile motor was was definitely an insult to the Pontiac Arrowhead in mm. 1979 because 185 pounds of or 185 horsepower of uh, right. non-breathing cast iron is yeah it's a tough time tough yeah. time for the brand <laughs> it was <laughs> dark days indeed it would have probably it, has, it prob- has new life so that's good now it does but that 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 mm. 403 probably would have taken you know all the budget to do an ls swap to make that 403 olds be half the motor the ls is <laughs> <laughs> that's true that you're not you're not wrong about that I, yeah. and i know you know you're not wrong about that yeah. yeah i mean that's 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 another thing i mean cost is a huge factor in that i mean obviously it's not free to do an ls swap but you can get so much more bang for the buck you get um, a lot of bang yeah with that with that ls you do with a, a crate ls and there's different ways to do it too i mean it's funny if you ever get bored, go on Craigslist and search out LS swap. And, mm-hmm. and you'll find guys who are doing like the, the epitome bottom of the barrel junkyard LS swap. Right. Where it's like a $200 five, three, out of a, out of a Silverado or something. Yeah. That with 400,000 right. miles on it <laughs> yeah. and it's all corroded and it's just jammed under the hood of a mm-hmm. Monte Carlo or something. And the factory harness is there, and you can see it's zip-tied, and it's all cut up and <laughs> messed up, and things aren't plugged in, and, mm-hmm. and everything's cobbled together. But they're like, yeah, but it's an LS swap, you know? Yeah. And, and um, there are shops that advertise doing LS swaps for, like, you know, 1500 bucks or, or you, you pick the dollar number, but a low dollar value. Mm-hmm. And that's what you end up with is this cobbled-together... <laughs> right. You know, air cleaner, air intake that's made of uh, Home Depot toilet tube, you know, <laughs> PVC pipe. <laughs> and, uh, and, nice. Yeah, and, and Chinese headers and, and, you know, super dollar down stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything really wrong with that, but I think it's important to differentiate that an LS swap is not an LS swap. They're not all the same. Correct. True. And yeah, yeah, yeah. People call us. Hey, how much for an LS? It's the same as a, how much for a paint job. Well, you know, right. you can get Earl Scheib or, you know, you can get something yeah. really nice. And the difference mm-hmm. is time and detail. And right. and when we look at the uh, the swaps that, that we've done, because our customers want something a little nicer than that, you know, we, we tear the engine down, we paint them, we, we make brackets, we make an air intake, we make sure. sure that it's tuned properly. In this case, we're running a Holley Dominator, so it's got a mm-hmm. nice, clean harness and a custom tune yeah. and all that stuff. And, it, yeah, it costs a lot more than your dollar-down yeah. LS swab. And you tell but them, well, you this one is right. It's done right. It's done totally yeah. right. And it's reliable, and it looks good, and mm-hmm. you're not ashamed to open the hood and see some corroded junkyard <laughs> takeout engine. <laughs> Um, but yes, that, that, those details cost money. So it's funny when you tell somebody, well, you know, there might be 200 hours or, or three or five, you know, however many hours to to do this. And and they're like, Mm -hmm. are you kidding me? You know, this guy over here, he'll do it in a weekend. It's like, okay, well you can, sure you can, but it ain't. Yeah. If that's what you want. Why would you? Well, I mean, I get why you would, but there, you got to just acknowledge the difference. True. Just say, oh, I get why doesn't have to be but yeah it doesn't have to be you know a bloody mess look like you know the engine threw up on itself <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i mean it can, it can be done with a even 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 the person doing it themselves they don't have to just you know cobble it all together they can if you have 
if you have enough, a little bit of talent and a little bit of patience, you can probably do a pretty decent job. Totally. swapping. There, there's enough parts out there that are available where there's probably not a, a ton of fabrication that mm-hmm. you need to do. So it can be done right at, by, you know, your Joe lunch bucket, ham and egg on the weekend guy. 100%. Yeah. You just got just to gotta care to do it. Right. True, 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 true. Some people don't, which is fine. I mean, really. You know, but, you know, also whatever. true. <laughs> I think the, the point of that whole tirade was just to acknowledge that, oh, well, yours is done with a lot of detail, and this uh-huh. one was not, and that's the difference in the, uh, uh-huh. in the cost and time factor. But. Yeah, but getting back to the L, that 79 Trans Am, I will not send you any hate mail for LS swapping it. <laughs> All right. Especially if you've got yeah, a ride I, in this I'm, one. I'm on your side. Yeah. You, 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 nobody would send us hate mail if they got a ride in it. That, yeah, okay. I believe it. Yeah. So I'm imagining there was a bunch of, uh, probably not LS swapped, but a bunch of cool cars at that Indian Uprising Pontiac show that you recently there, attended. My God, man. There were so many great cars there. They, um, it, the, the, there was... Um, some bad, some rain coming in on Sunday that kept some people away, but they still managed to break the 600 car mark wow. that showed up on Sunday. Yeah, it was huge. Wow. Yeah, they, um, they, it was the 50th anniversary of the the Judge, uh, the Trans Am, and 35th anniversary of the Fiero. Of right. All things. Yeah, there was, dude. There were some sweet Fieros there. <laughs> I bet it's, there was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was able to talk to um, the show organizer, Paul Weinstein, who's a member of the Cruising Tigers. Mm-hmm. And um, we sat down and uh, had a few words, and was, uh, we were talking about the show. And uh, we, can, uh, we can play that for yep, you. Yep, let her fly. You got it. Okay, everyone, this is Mike Clark from V8 Radio, and we are at the 29th annual All Pontiac Show Indian Uprising. All Pontiac Weekend, I should say. And I have a very special guest. Please state your name, sir. My name is Paul Weinstein. And Paul is the show organizer for the Indian Uprising All Pontiac Weekend. And Paul, we just got a a really good announcement over the walkie-talkie. Tell us what that was. We did. Uh, You know, it's been a successful weekend all weekend long. We've been breaking records left and right uh, with attendance. Um, but, uh, you know, we woke up to uh, some rain for the first three hours of the, uh, of the morning, which we thought was really going to dampen our, our attendance on the big day, which is uh, today, Sunday. Um, but uh, we just hit 600 cars, 600 Pontiacs. Right on, Paul, 600 Pontiacs. And this, uh, what are the featured cars this year? Feature cars are, well, we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of the Fiero. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the GTO Judge. And we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Pontiac Trans Am. Outstanding. You know, uh, on a previous episode of V8 Radio, um, we listed all cars that we would uh, not buy, but we would take if somebody gave them to us. And one of my cars was the Fiero. I remember. I heard that one. And it's, I'm judged based on all of the uh, cool Fieros I'm seeing today, I think I'm ready to recant that statement. <laughs> Because I'm seeing some really cool Fieros here today, and in all years, all types of condition, all different modifications, engine mods, body mods. We saw, I mentioned earlier, uh, there is a a blown big block Fiero. Yeah. Here. Yeah, it's got a, uh, it's got a. I don't know which size motor it's got, but it's got a. Well, it's got a. 
hush hush Chevy yes. engine in it, but it's in the front. It's got it's a it's got a blower big blower sticking out of the hood. Uh, it's got like uh, probably 15 inch meats in the back, and uh, it's a pretty incredible Fiero. It really is. Now, yeah. now, Paul, this this show is actually a real family affair for you because you have your wife Debbie that yep. helps out, and your yep. daughter Amber that helps out quite very, a bit. Yep, very true, very true. Yeah, my wife, uh, she you can find her at registration uh, both Saturday and Sunday. And my daughter takes on different tasks uh, each year where uh, she just volunteers. Where we're short, she comes in and picks up. Yeah, I re- I've been coming to this show for a number of years, and I remember a 9-, 10-year-old Amber driving the golf cart around giving, uh, selling 50-50 tickets. Yep, yep. Amber has been driving. She's just turned 18. She first started driving the golf, ca- golf cart when she was 9. She took on 50-50 tickets when she was about 12 or 13 with a friend. And uh, she just gave that up a year or two ago, and uh, now she's doing something else. That's awesome. And you have your car here. In fact, we're sitting right behind it. It's a it's a beautiful uh, gold '66 GTO convertible that you've had for a couple of years now. I've had this car about five years. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's nice. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's a fun, it's a blast to drive. It's a blast. I've been wanting this car in its exact form since. I was eight years old, as far back as I can remember. I can't think of a time where I didn't want a '66 GTO convertible. So I, ha- so I've got it. It's, it's, uh, it's got a modified motor. It's got, you know, just the interior and the uh, and the wheels on it that I want. Uh, if, if um, any Pontiac people out there, if you get the chance, you need to come to this show. It's in first or second weekend of August, typically it's, every year. Yeah, it's it's so, so it's the the Indian Uprising All Pontiac Weekend is always the second weekend of August each year. Um, right now, obviously, it's we're on Sunday and we only got a couple hours to go until the show ends. But next year is going to be a 30th anniversary of the show, so we are going. We've already been talking about some soft plans. We're going all out next year uh, to first to celebrate 30 years of this event. Uh, we will draw. We should be drawing somewhere between 650 to 700 Pontiacs. Uh, there's a cruise night that we opened all makes and models. Uh, we had one last night. Uh, pulled a thousand cars here to 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 the grounds here at Pheasant Run in North Avenue on uh, North Avenue in St. Charles. Um, and it's a three-day event. It starts Friday morning, closes uh, Sunday uh, after the awards, about 4:30. Yeah, I heard last night that the uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to make it to the mega cruise in. But I heard it was pretty much bursting at the seams. So many cars showed up. Yeah, I think we uh, we, we maxed out. So I think next year we're going to be looking into... Uh, right now we park everybody um, very strategically uh, and fill every ounce of the space on concrete. Uh, but next year I think we're going to move on to the golf course because Pheasant Run has a... I'm not a golfer, but I'm told they have a really good golf course here. But I think that we're going to invade the golf course next year. Oh. Perfect. I mean, this show just gets better and better every year. It gets bigger and bigger. Uh, it, it uh, The venue change has come to the Pheasant Run Resort in probably in the last three years, four years? We came here five years ago uh, under the direction of a, uh, a member, a good friend of mine, Rick Bogoff, who I want to throw a shout out to because he passed on uh, about three years ago. Great guy, a really Rick. good man, really, really good man, uh, a real good friend of mine. Um, and uh, but uh, we would not be in Pheasant Run if it wasn't for Rick. So that's his legacy that he left for us. Uh, we just signed another agreement with uh, Pheasant Run to be here for another five years. Fantastic. Yeah. And yep. that's and not it, well known yet either. And if you're not aware about Pheasant Run, they have a mega center which we're in right now, which will hold about a hundred cars. The mega center we stock yeah a hundred cars inside the mega center. 
uh, and uh, from all all cars from all walks of life. We've got a 1919 Oakland uh, sitting over there. We've got a uh, um, uh, we've got the last 1971 Judge, Judge. The last year they produced Judges, we got the very last one made. Uh, we've got lots of cars here, lots of cars, and that Judge is not by any means any kind of a show car. It's just a it's a car they wanted to pull in the building, so yeah. they pull it in. Yeah, that, and that's the great thing. You you don't have to have a a hundred point show winning car to come into the Mega Center. If you want to bring your, you know, it could be a rough uh, daily driver Pontiac. If you want it in here, you can get it in here, which is fantastic. Well, if I if I could just expound on it just a little bit, Mike. Sure. Um, you know, the Indian Uprising was built on. You know, we 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 don't have. We only have two classes. We have an old car class and a newer car class, so that they. You know, so you don't have a G8 going against a, you know, 66 Bonneville. So we have a, you know, so that brake kind of just falls out in, around 1981. Um, but those two, we only have two classes, and we do that for a reason, because we want a level playing field here. You know, we want this to be more of a celebration of the hobby than people getting their cars ready, you know, to make sure that every little nook and cranny is absolutely perfect. Right. You know, people do that. They get their cars up because it is a car show. But, you know, here it's, it's, um, it's a celebration of the hobby. It's people learning from other people about what they've done to their cars. Um, and, and we think that we're doing a really good job uh, just to help keep the Pontiac end of the hobby alive. So listen, everybody, if, if you're into Pontiacs, you want to see a great show, come on out to Pheasant Run, second weekend of August every year. It's a fantastic show run by a great club, which is organized by a great guy, Paul, here. He does a fantastic job. Him and his staff just pull out all the stops. So, Paul, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And back to you guys. Well, that's uh, that's a great interview. It sounds like a heck of a show. Um, yeah, it, it really is. Um, I've been going to that show... Uh, God, since I, well, since I had my GTO, um, so about almost eight, ten years, I've been going to that show, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger every year. And the quality of car that shows up has just continued to improve, and the people there are great, and it's just a really chill, laid back, great experience. Yeah, well, I've been to that show before; it was a while ago, but um, we had a we had a great time, and and. Um there were some great cars. It's amazing how many uh, really unusual um, Pontiacs are there in the Midwest. Did you know if they had people come from far away for this one? I, I don't know. Uh, they do have people coming in from out of state. No, I, I do know that they used to have a guy come in from um, Iowa, um, I think Minnesota, and, of course, Indiana. Some guys come from – so they, they, they pull from the surrounding – states around them um actually there were a couple of guys a couple of people from australia that were there there you go this year yeah we're huge in australia so that's right <laughs> so the answer to that question is yes they do come yes. in from all around and uh, i've seen pictures of paul's car online that's killer it's beautiful Ooh, that car is beautiful he's done so much work to, it was nice when he got it yeah. it was kind of worn needed some you know needed the front end work the engine was wasn't the original 389 in there, and it was kind of worn out. He swapped it out. He has a 461 stroker in it now, and it really cooks. Um, he put a, it had a two-speed power glide. He just put a turbo 400 transmission in it, and it mm -hmm. just really woke it up as well. Did all, all all kinds of interior work to it. I mean, he's really paid a lot of attention to it. Yeah, and it, and it really shows. It looks really good, mm -hmm. and so uh, explain to me a little bit more about how that. Uh, two class 
car show award system works? Um, well, like like Paul said, they they break it up newer cars and older cars. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, so you don't have to compete in your you bring your G8 and you don't have to compete against uh, a 65 GTO because I think most people are going to vote for the GTO over the G8. Do so you, it, it, it gives the newer cars a chance to compete and, and win prizes and win trophies. Have any idea what the split is, where the year break is? Uh, I think 81 maybe. I'd, I'd have to get with Paul, and uh, I could tell you for sure. The only reason why uh, I ask is, the, as we've talked about before, judging car shows is like <laughs> one of the most thankless and yeah. – challenging things you can do because you're always going to make people unhappy because right. my, my new car, you know, so I can hear it now, the G8 guys versus, you know, like Pontiacs from the eighties and, and mm-hmm. you know, that's not fair. And I, I can only imagine. Right. So hopefully everybody's a bunch of good sports about it. Well, they give away a lot of, they give away a lot of prizes. They give away a lot of trophies. Um, so tip, Typically, you'll you'll walk away with something from that show. Um, mm-hmm. I never have, but typically <laughs> most people do. <laughs> I've actually had my GTO in that show a few times, and uh-huh. I even on the on the display card I even wrote, "I'm not above taking a pity vote." There you go. So, <laughs> but I just don't get them. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe by your little uh, you know brown nose and go Paul Weinstein, you. Uh... Yeah, put, put yourself in the running a little bit better there. But. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, honorable th- mention. I'll take an honorable mention. Yeah, there you go. You know, you're an industry guy, so <laughs> right. So you know that means you're not entitled to an award anymore. You know, being an industry guy. Nope, you're not entitled, and, well, that, that, and that's fine. That's the way it should be. You should earn it. Right. Well, that's super cool that that Paul took the time to uh, to chat and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's always been a big supporter of our show and, and a listener, mm-hmm. and we thank him for that. And all of our Pontiac friends who have long since tuned out because I mentioned LS and a trans <laughs> <laughs> in the first part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> Maybe we defer that question to Paul, you know. Maybe. On the, Maybe. On the Facebook page, put a comment in. What do you, what do you mm-hmm. think? That could, that could work. Yeah, right on. All right. Well, I think uh, we, we've let our our listeners marinate long enough on our trivia questions. Um, maybe we go for the answers. What do you think? Yes, sir. Let's uh, let's get those answers out there. Um, all right. So I asked you about uh, nitrogen, filling your car tires with nitrogen, and why would you do that? And and as a kind of a bonus to give your opinion whether or not this is something that people really need to do. Right, and I'm a, probably and, 100% wrong. but Okay, well, we're getting to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you said that because the, the, um, the molecule, the nitrogen molecule itself is larger than that of the oxygen molecule, that it permeates less through the rubber of the tire as well as nitrogen being a bit more thermally stable. And uh, it uh, doesn't expand and contract as much as ambient air would. So, so like, say, in the, in the winter, you come out to your tire, and your, t- and your tire pressure is lower than it was the day before because it got cold or it heats up so much and it expands when you're driving. 
And you are absolutely right, Kevin. Hey. On all fronts. Yes, wow. it is a larger molecule. It does permeate less, and it is more thermally stable. And I think it's, you know, um, racers tend to do that quite a bit in their tires because they need their tire pressure to remain stable um, throughout, throughout a race uh, because you are dealing with much higher heat um, levels in racing than you are typically with commuting. Yeah, totally. And as far, as far as needing it, well, again, I, I agree with you. I don't think you necessarily need it. Um, but if it's something that you want to do, it's not going to hurt anything. Right. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, as you're talking about that, the heat and the racers, when you go watch drag racing and you see a lot of, you know, big tire cars waiting in the staging lanes, a lot of times they'll have a drape over the tire to keep mm-hmm. the sun off of them so that you don't have the passenger side tire being 10 pounds of higher PSI than the driver, you know, which could cause you to violently leave the track surface. Sure. So. Right on. Well, that's good. I Perfect. feel good about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured you, I knew you'd get it, but <clears throat> I wanted to ask you. Anyway. You, know, you know, it depends on what you know, day of the week it is. You know, you never know. Somebody else out there may have learned something today, so yeah, right. that's good. Well, uh, so to get to your question... <laughs> Uh, the Good question is, why is it called a dashboard? <laughs> it's breaking up, Kevin. Can't hear you. Yeah. Gotta go. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I tried to type quickly uh, your word-for-word answer, so... Oh, please, God, no. You, to, I'll, I'll recount the, uh, the transcript. Back in the day, you did not have all the swoopy shapes like you have today. <laughs> and it was a board that looked like a dash (laughs) and and the name good god (laughs) and as i'm envisioning you know some of these cars that had swoopy fenders right next to the dashboard but right um the swoopy shape was invented far more recently, apparently. Uh, well, the, actually, it, it started with the Oldsmobile and the curved dash. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. 1903 mm-hmm. or so. Right, something like that. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I don't think Well, you're wrong, Mike, and yes. here's why. <laughs> well, you're wrong, Mike, and here's why. Uh, the word dashboard was originally used to describe the wooden board carriage makers attached to the front of carriages to prevent mud and rocks from being splashed up or dashed onto drivers Uh. and and their passengers by horses. So, in a sense, the dashboard was really like a mud flap for the horse hooves. But the term dashboard didn't really work its way into popular English until the 1800s. The concept existed long before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't until you know the early 1900s, you know the era of your curved dash olds, when uh, carriages became dependent on motors instead of horses, and that the quote-unquote dashboard was repurposed to house the vehicle instruments like speedometers and gas gauges, you know, all while protecting uh, the mm. occupants from getting dashed by rocks and horse debris. So. So, uh, so that's really what I said. Uh, yeah, right. Right? Yeah, that's, that's really so kind of what I said. You gotta, you I mean, right. in a roundabout yeah, yeah. sort of way, that's really what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take the W on that one. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> one more in the win column. 
that's excellent. Well done. It is. It is. I know. I know. Yeah. You know the next one is going to be in what year did they invent the swoopy shape? Nineteen oh three with the Oldsmobile curved dash. Mm-hmm. Dynamite. Well, oh, good God, man. <laughs> this uh, questions. Another fun episode. I know we started in kind of a somber note, but I hope uh, made up for it with the rest of it. And uh, as always, we appreciate everybody listening uh, on. I guess no matter what platform you listen between. Google Play, uh, mm-hmm. iTunes, of course, yep. uh, the uh, Stitcher? Tune, Stitcher Radio, the TuneIn Radio app. Uh, you can tune in right on Facebook. You can mm-hmm. go to our website at v8radio.com. You can listen to uh, Podchaser. iHeartRadio. Heart yeah, iHeartRadio, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. Man, there's getting, a, getting to be such yeah. a list, I'm forgetting them. Oh, man. Whew. We're huge. Yeah, we're huge on Spotify. Yes. <laughs> so we we appreciate uh, everybody for tuning in, and we always encourage comments either in the in the Facebook uh, Facebook page, or um, you can comment right on our website, uh, or send us an email, whatever you'd like. And uh, again, thanks for listening. So that's about all I got, my man. Likewise, I'm, I'm all laughed out. Yeah, God, no kidding. I need, a, <laughs> need to sit down after this one. <laughs> I know, I know. Good heavens. All right, man. Well, keep it under 100, and uh, we will see you next time on VA Radio. <laughs>